0: Ave Maria Press has been publishing Catholic books and resources for more than 150 years, and they are located right on the north side of the Notre Dame campus. Visit their website, avemariapress.com, for a wide selection of Catholic books, podcasts, videos, and free downloadable content. Receive 25% off your next order with code REDEEMER. Church Life Today is brought to you
1: in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union and our listeners.
0: A good number of the students I have taught in theology courses at Notre Dame have gone on to medical school. Many of these students feel called to the practice of medicine and would even speak of their professional pursuits as a vocation. But I often hear from these graduates a grave sense of disappointment in what they encounter in medical school. These are the kind of people who are most committed to their Catholic faith and to seeking out a Catholic approach to healthcare and the understanding of the human person and their own roles as healers. They learn a lot in med school and they are prepared well for the technical practice of medicine, but they feel like their way of seeing the world and other human beings is often under strain in the course of their medical studies. We might think this is the inevitable result at public, secular medical schools, but it turns out that many students who attend the few Catholic medical schools tend to feel quite the same. Which leads us to this question. How ought we form young Catholics, as Catholics, for the healthcare professions? Well, the students have become the teachers in this regard, and today one of my former students is my guest to talk about her own vocation as a doctor and how to form Catholics for Healthcare. Dr. Maggie Scoch Musso is psychiatry resident at Case Western Reserve University. She completed her M.D. and a concurrent M.A. in bioethics at the Loyola Stritch School of Medicine in Chicago. And she is a 2016 graduate of the University of Notre Dame where she studied theology. While at Notre Dame, Maggie served as the president of the Notre Dame chapter of NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness. And for her work and advocacy on behalf of those suffering with mental illness, Maggie has received numerous awards at both her alma mater and through national organizations. I'm Leonard DiLorenzo, this is Church Life Today, a production of the McGrath Institute for Church Life and the Spoke Street Media Network. I'm glad you're here. Maggie, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Maggie, you've chosen to pursue psychiatry for your medical career, and I— just would love to hear about how you found yourself drawn to this particular area of medicine. What is I, – I suppose I'm asking you your vocation story because I, I understand like the way in which you've gotten into medicine is very much vocational. So can you tell us a little bit about that to get us started?
1: Absolutely. So I – probably not unlike many Notre Dame students came here uh, as an undergraduate thinking I wanted to be in pre-med because going to medical school sounds like a good career option and I don't mind school that much. So the (laughs) idea of four more years of school, eh, not too bad. After that, I had a much different experience that really, I think, clarified much for me. So during my sophomore year 1.0, as it were, at Notre Dame, I began to have very severe symptoms related to obsessive compulsive disorder, which I was diagnosed with when I was 13. Uh, It was something that had been fairly well managed for most of my teen years with some medication, but it really reared its ugly head in college. And uh, it became so bad and so disruptive to my functioning that I took a medical withdrawal from Notre Dame for a year. And that was. After, I actually ended up being psychiatrically hospitalized, uh, which was its own unique experience, just because of how bad the panic attacks I had been experiencing were. And, you know, it seemed like the the right next step uh, in collaboration with my family and my doctors. So fast forward a year, I come back to Notre Dame. The entire experience had been challenging and frustrating, and there was much of it that was filled with anger toward God. And also anger at Notre Dame for, I think, how challenging the experience had been. So when I came back, I was pretty interested in doing something about that, particularly at the university. So this initial sort of turn towards psychiatry in particular came out of a bit of anger, which I don't think was the worst thing. And ultimately, uh, over that year, I met some really excellent people who I think started to shape that anger into something a little bit different. And uh, then, as you know, I became involved in Notre Dame Vision. And that formation experience really started to bring into focus what would ultimately become my understanding of psychiatry as a vocation. And I was able to start to understand my own experience, which was undoubtedly painful and filled with suffering, into something, you know, a little bit like grace and something that could be actually a vocation in its transformed way. And so that was kind of what what set me off really down uh, on that path towards psychiatry. Um, I had wonderful opportunities at Notre Dame, from administrators to play an active role in rebuilding and reimagining the withdrawal process, which really tended to impact students who were having psychiatric or mental health crises, and a number of other great opportunities in the community and also on campus among student groups to further explore that vocation prior to going to medical school.
0: Hmm. When you say to rebuild and reimagine the withdrawal process I understand that you're you mean from the university right like to smooth this out and to think about this a little bit better but I'm also wondering you know from your own personal experience and perspective I mean most people that end up at a place like Notre Dame have been high achieving have been rewarded for their efforts all throughout they're usually taking the shortest path from here to success that they can find right it's a straight line and here in your experience you come up against a major interruption to that. So how did you imagine or how – I don't know if you were forced to imagine or you were led to imagine or just how did you imagine the withdrawal process? What did that feel like to you?
1: The withdrawal process that I went through? Yeah. Yeah. So I had been having essentially these accelerating panic attacks And I remember one night I was sitting on the floor of the chapel in my dorm and was crying. I called my parents and they're like, we're coming. We're just going to come get Mm -hmm. you. And the first few weeks being at home were really tough because there was regret. Plus, I was still not well. You regretted Um, with
0: like leaving. Correct.
1: Correct. And I at the time, because I left right at the beginning of the semester, I, I expected that I would be able to come back, assuming I was able to kind of heal mm-hmm. appropriately, that I could come back in the second semester of that mm. academic year, which at the time, the policy was such that you had to take a full year just sort of as a, a blanket Standard. rule. Okay, And so it turns out even the year away was sort of transformative, um, one, because it involved a great deal of hard work, especially in psychotherapy or OCD in particular. There's a type of Therapy that's the gold standard. It's called exposure and response prevention. And this is a, a, a type of therapy where you quite literally confront whatever the obsessive thoughts or fears are, and over time will uh, kind of change your relationship with those to the point that your symptoms kind of go into remission. Um, it's a very, very brief description.
0: Do you get familiar with them? Is that part of it?
1: Yes, absolutely. There's a, there's this whole process, you create a hierarchy so things that might trigger the anxiety mm-hmm. part of the of the OCD are placed in order of like least anxiety provoking to most anxiety provoking, mm-hmm. and you work your way through those and as you, Kind of engage with them or sit with them. You physically on a piece of paper chart your anxiety, and it will form a bell curve. It will naturally resolve without using a compulsion, which is sort of the the way OCD operates. You have an obsessive thought or an intrusive thought. You do a compulsion to reduce the anxiety triggered by that obsession. And over time, as you do that repetitively, that bell curve becomes a. Flat line. Hmm. Um, At least that's how it's supposed to work and Mm -hmm. certainly was how it worked in my case. Um, So there was quite a few weeks of that, doing that three times a week with uh, a therapist and uh, in the course of my year away, I got to spend a lot of time with my parents, which mm-hmm. was <laughs> good and bad in yes, its own right, 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 but right, but a gift Mostly nonetheless. Good, right? Yes, okay. <laughs> and I had the opportunity to go and actually be the music director for my high school's spring musical. Hmm. I got a job at a grocery store and like – but that was honestly something I'd always wanted to do was like work in the checkout line, like scan things. You did it. Maybe that was related to my OCD. I don't know. Um, and I took some classes at the community college. So it was a really different experience mm-hmm. having been at Notre Dame, this elite place, this place I had always dreamed of, and then going back home to my community and still sort of having, again, its own sort of transformative process, and, you know, something that itself had grace within it, mm. perhaps not fully recognized at the time,
0: yes. So, if we talk about, like, if we were to think about the withdrawal, this great interruption, the frustration that you said from that, the grief, possibly regret, working through all of that stuff. But then you mentioned grace a couple of times. I guess, suppose I could ask you, like, how do you understand grace? But maybe a better way to, maybe a better way to ask something like that is, how did you experience grace? Grace is difficult to define. I mean, we can give a definition, but maybe if you talk about like what the experience that you call grace is, that'll help us to understand a little better.
1: Yeah. So this is something I've discussed with many people, but in particular, one of the first things that I started doing, even while I was still away, was talking to people about what I was going through Hmm. and what I was experiencing. And without fail, there was always a response, either that someone had experienced their own mental health challenge or loved someone who did. And that was something that I... I'm fortunate that I recognized early on because I continued to do that. Um, And people often would say things like, you know, you're really brave for sharing that, which is is lovely of them to say. But by that point, it was clear that this was um, in some sense a responsibility. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying everyone needs to share their story, but I was comfortable doing so. And I saw that it had this particular impact. And so part of grace for me was uh, was in sharing something of myself and my own experience and my own suffering. I was brought into these encounters with other people who had similar experiences, and there was this sort of moment of relationship where we could share in the mutual suffering. And so that was, I think, the first glimpse mm-hmm. of it. And then kind of going forward, as I went through the, these different formative experiences that over time really shaped my understanding of my personal experience, which was bad and mm-hmm. painful, as something that could be transformed and understood in a different light. And I think that light is the grace. And uh, so I don't know if that quite answers the question, yeah, but, but um, that's what I would say. <laughs>
0: This is Leonard DiLorenzo. You're listening to Church Life Today on the Spoke Street Media Network. My guest is Dr. Maggie Scotch Muso, psychiatry resident at Case Western. We're talking about her pathway into psychiatry, at some of her own personal experiences, and soon enough about her education and formation as a Catholic medical professional. I think it's pretty clear from what you've described in your own story as I ask you, you know, why did you get into psychiatry? You're speaking in terms of grace, but it's a gritty grace. It's not it's not the instant uplift that Flannery O'Connor talks against. She doesn't want instant uplift. It's a <laughs> yes. gritty grace. It's in the the rough and tumble of all this stuff, but you also recognize as you've said that this pull towards psychiatry became a a vocation, that at first it was kind of a default plan or it was, you know, the best laid plan, but it became a real calling. So it sounds like as you're coming out of your undergraduate career, moving towards medical school, it's certainly coming from a place that it's founded upon your faith, your Catholic identity. And so as you're moving towards medical school, I imagine you would like that to continue, to be formed or have resources for formation that allow you as a Catholic to be formed as a certain type of medical professional. What did you find in medical school?
1: Yeah, so I will sit, I will start by saying that I was very fortunate in many ways in my medical school experience that there were a great deal of sort of resources in that vein mm-hmm. available to me pretty readily. At uh, Loyola, where I did medical school in Chicago, there's a wonderful program called the Physician Vocation Program that is an elective opportunity that medical students can participate in that sort of seeks to, to cultivate this idea of vocation mm-hmm. uh, within the medical students who are Christian or Catholic or, or really are seeking that particular type of formation. And certainly, there were people who were already speaking some of the same language when it came to Catholicism and, you know, vocation. Yeah. Even itself is a, a word I, I think translated easily in that space. On the other hand, there was—I uh, always found myself a little bit, perhaps, frustrated or wanting for something more. Medical school is busy and very full already. So on the one hand, you already have this very real challenge of just yeah. trying to learn all of the medical stuff that you need to know to get into residency. And, and
0: that all of us want you to learn. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Right, the rest of us. Precisely. Yes.
1: So already you're limited by time. So that that's real. But I... I think I had hoped that there would be more of more of a thread that ran through the the four years of medical school built into the education that would seek to continue the engagement with the idea of like what what does it mean to be a catholic physician
0: mm-hmm.
1: and you know we are in a you know a multicultural very diverse world and so there are also challenges to doing something like that at a school where certainly not all the students are catholic but i continued to find sort of this just this desire for a little bit more intentional formation that really went you know into all of the areas of of medicine that um that we explored in medical school and so that in- includes not just The stuff, the science, which has its own opportunities, right? The whole idea of the body and the idea of death and suffering, Mm -hmm. all of these things are ripe for exploration as Catholics. But then also, you know, what does it mean to be a healer and what does it mean to confront some of the moral and ethical issues as a Catholic that, you know, we are faced with in medicine and much more. So I I think that I was very grateful for what was there, but still found myself craving something more and Mm -hmm. deeper. Yeah.
0: In a talk you gave recently, I heard you use an expression that really captured my attention or captured my imagination. You talked about in medical school, even in a Catholic medical school, the gravitational pull of the secular. And that's something that caught my attention because I've heard that from a number of people that I've known that have gone on from Catholic school that had an interest and have had an interest in being really formed in their Catholic faith and as professionals as they head into medicine. And this seems to be a very consistent sort of theme. There's this gravitational pull, not for them themselves, but in their institutions and in the fields of medicine towards the secular. What does that mean and how do you see it?
1: For me, this idea of uh, the gravitational pull of the secular Is twofold. So I think one is more obvious that in medicine there are a wide variety of views on, you know, various moral issues, things like abortion, euthanasia, um, and many other kind of contentious issues Mm -hmm. that are are contentious in society, in addition to within medicine, and that often the dividing line, not always, but often is a religious or spiritual one. And so I think that that's sort of the more obvious example of of how the secular is um, very present and increasingly present in medicine, especially as our technology advances. I think the perhaps more insidious example is the way in which the, the secular often, it's it's not just explicitly secular, but it's sort of the absence of a religious or spiritual or even moral foundation, something that was very much at the heart of the, you know, medicine in its now modern form was very much created uh, along an arc of Christian and, and Catholic thought. You know, the, mm-hmm. the nuns uh, of hundreds of years ago were very active in um, caring for the, the sick. And so many of these, much of the, the heritage of medicine has its roots in Christianity and Catholicism. And much of that is just sort of disappearing or not really being spoken of or perhaps being actively avoided in some cases. And so I think that is creating a bit of a vacuum where um, there doesn't, I think, need to be one.
0: Yeah. How I, I'm, I find myself thinking, like, how does this affect, you think, how you as a doctor, as others who are preparing to be medical professionals, are taught to see who the patient is? In other words, like, when you have a person in front of you that you have been trained in many ways to heal or to be a part of their healing in this gravitational pull towards the secular, maybe contrasted with or juxtaposed with what you might want to see in a Catholic view, like who is this in front of you? How are you taught to see
1: them? That's an excellent question. And certainly it is very easy for me to answer mm-hmm. how I see right. my patients as a result of the formation that I've experienced and and. You know, received, and also my Catholic identity and perspective. You know, it, this is a a child of God and someone who is has a full you know human dignity because they're made in the image and likeness of God. And I heard a, a phrase once, probably on Twitter, um, so I can't attribute it <laughs> readily. But I heard this beautiful phrase: "We will never look into the eyes of someone who is not loved by God." And so that makes caring for people, especially people who are sick, but probably more importantly, people who are often very different from you or who are maybe challenging to to care for Mm -hmm. for any number of reasons or simply, you know, people who maybe can't engage with you because they're, you know, an infant (laughs) or Mm -hmm. they are someone who has very severe dementia. And I think it's hard for me to imagine what It would be like to try to answer this question as someone who is not a person of faith or who had not gone through the the formation or educational experiences that I've had. But I think that's actually sort of the point. I'm not sure someone who has merely a a secular education or secular framework has an easy answer to that question. Mm -hmm. I think – Certainly we can speak frequently about equality or equity and that is uh, I think a a framework that people are gravitating toward particularly in the secular space right now because I think in many ways it's trying to say the same thing that I have said in this idea of someone being a child of God who has dignity and you know that's kind of it. That's that's all you need to know. But I, I think you start to not maybe fully have the language or the framework to answer that question when the secular is what's pulling or or defining the, the terms or the boundaries.
0: This is Leonard DiLorenzo. You're listening to Church Life Today on the Spoke Street Media Network. My guest is Dr. Maggie Scooch Musso, psychiatry resident at Case Western. We're talking about the education and formation of Catholics for the medical profession, especially from her own experience. So Maggie, if you were to think about, I mean, it's a hard thing to, to do, right? Like I'm going to ask you basically to set out or your ideals for setting out a kind of medical training or formation for especially young Catholics who are going into the medical field. But that's what I'm going to ask you. Like, what would you like to see that's not there? What would some of your ideals be for the kind of, I don't know if they're resources or mentorship or whatever it is for Catholics who are going into medicine?
1: It's a bit of a big ask in that (laughs) question, but I'm going to take a stab at it. (laughs) I think number one, there needs to be some theological education or theological formation as a starting point. I don't think people need to have a degree in theology or complete a PhD in theology or anything. Those things
0: are useless. <laughs> I
1: know. It gets you to be a different kind of doctor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm the, <laughs> I'm
0: the kind of doctor that can't actually heal you enough. Right.
1: right. <laughs> so I think having some sort of common language, common theological foundation from which you can build as you enter into medical training is very helpful. So I was a theology major in undergrad. And so while I don't think you need the full degree, I think that education gave me a starting point, gave me a foundation, both to understand like the idea of vocation itself. I think even mm. before my education, my formation, I probably didn't fully appreciate what that word even means. Yeah so i think you you need this sort of foundation and so barring kind of having the education before you go into medical school i think having that built into the medical training would be very important mm-hmm. for again this idea of forming a, a catholic physician
0: and a medical school may not be able to provide that right they don't have the so it would probably have to happen in partnership with some some other institution precisely yeah, right. precisely
1: and and these things are not Non-existent, right? Sure. There are Catholic medical associations across the country. There are great programs at different medical schools that kind of, uh, at minimum, are tangential to this question. Okay, uh, but it seems to me that there is certainly an opportunity to pursue this further. Okay, so I think I think a foundation of you know the theological is is important, and then I think you know you 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 would have to imagine a way in which I think you can kind of complete the all-important scientific training that comes with medical school. And then there's sort of this other piece of training in medical school, sort of the idea of professionalism, bedside Mm. manner, um, how to talk to patients, how to communicate with them. That to me is actually a really natural bridge point that could be further supported by a more intentionally integrated Catholic sort of formation, mm-hmm. uh, that I think could incorporate, you know, various things. I think the idea of the virtues is kind of making its return in medical education. I think that would be an interesting opportunity to utilize, I think, the Catholic intellectual tradition in this way. So that was a very. Long way of not giving you a great answer. You gave me a great answer. Look, theological, <laughs>
0: if we do theological education and the the way in which the professional training of doctors, other yes. medical professionals take place. And as you were mentioning, like by incorporating the virtues, this isn't simply an intellectual exercise, right? It's not just to learn what the virtues are. It's that this is part of becoming a professional, it's yes. becoming a virtuous person to practice these abilities so that they become natural Correct. to you, right? if we could do that i think we'd be we'd be we'd be in nice shape <laughs> so maybe we'll we'll start to bring this to a close with with something like this so in the absence of having the, i mean you had the the good fortune of having a theological education as you're coming in right so your professional formation i imagine wasn't or professional training wasn't completely void of this stuff but it wasn't there very intentionally so what was important for you to help kind of and has and maybe still is important to you to develop your own craft and identity as a Catholic medical professional? Are there particular mentors that have been important for you in this realm or other experiences as you're going along at the very early stages of your medical career?
1: Yeah. So I think there are several things that that have really continued to Help for me um, mm-hmm. as I, you know, continue through my training and begin to, you know, be engaged more in practice. So I think one thing is the way in which I've come to understand. So, so I think my formation leading into medical school and continuing through medical school in various ways was a lot about understanding what I was doing as a vocation and Mm -hmm. and how my experiences with my own mental illness and everything that happened after that as, as leading me to my vocation. I think that in the course of this formation. I've seen and, and encountered so many people, physicians and people in other professions who have great joy in what they do. And I think this idea of of joy, particularly in a profession where there's a lot of suffering mm. and where, you know, healing isn't always curing someone's illness, especially in psychiatry. It's it's much more of a, a journey that has many peaks and valleys. The idea of clinging to, to joy has been, I guess, so well represented by so many people around me over the years. That is something that I feel is very much on my mind a lot lately and is something that I am seeking to kind of continue to cultivate. Mm. So I, I think the Things that have been exemplified to me over the years by people, uh, people of faith, people of the Catholic faith, who I really respect again in medicine and outside of medicine. They have exemplified virtues and Sort of ways of seeing the world that I'm trying to continue Mm -hmm. to weave into my own practice, especially when residency is hard and we work a lot of hours. I think there are
0: no benefits there (laughs) yet, right? right.
1: Yeah, when you take your salary and divide it by the number of hours you work, don't (laughs) do it. Don't do it for for all residents. Um, I think the other thing that I'm very grateful for in my formation at Notre Dame, particularly with Notre Dame Vision, is the exposure and introduction really to the saints. And this is something that I have really been captivated by. As I was starting residency, I bought a bunch of saint prayer cards off of Etsy that I keep in my white coat. Um, and sometimes I'll like rotate them out based on the the rotation that I'm doing or just sort of what's on my on my mind or in my heart at the time. And there are some really beautiful, you know, saints who were physicians like Saint Gianna and other people who are sort of Thought of as as healers, um, Saints Cosmos and Damien, and also, you know, Our Lady Doer of Knots, one of the, the sort of Marian figures that really speaks to me in medicine in particular, because there are many things that are, are tied up in knots in the lives of patients and mm-hmm. in the healthcare system and all of these things. So, so the Saints, you know, are, are people I am really grateful to have been introduced to so early on so that. That they are now really like people I feel are accompanying me, accompanying me on this journey, um, and helping to kind of keep me oriented and reoriented as things get kind of disorienting at times. So I, I think, uh, in particular, my my introduction to the Saints at Notre Dame Vision and during my time at Notre Dame was one of the best things that mm-hmm. I could have received going into medicine that I don't think I could have ever predicted, like, you know, someone had said, what's been really important in your path to medicine? Like the saints. (laughs) The saints, right. (laughs) Doesn't show up often on the medical applications, (laughs) medical school
0: applications. Friends, I've been talking with Dr. Maggie Musso, psychiatry resident at Case Western. We've talked about her own journey into psychiatry as a profession and about the education and formation of Catholics for the medical profession. Maggie, thanks so much for this conversation today. Thank you. And thanks to all of you for joining us on Church Life Today. Church Life Today is a production of Spoke Street Media and the McGrath Institute for Church Life at the University of Notre Dame, and is brought to you in part by Notre Dame FCU and our listeners.
1: Do unto others as you would have
0: others do unto you. The Golden Rule. When you schedule a financial checkup with Notre Dame Federal Credit Union, our people will be helpful and honest and kind. They will look for ways to save you money, and when your checkup is complete, they will send $150 to Redeemer Radio. For more info, visit Notre
1: slash elevate. You already share our values. Why not share in our benefits? Notre Dame Federal Credit Union.